Amen. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And as we kind of just take a minute to soak in what we just sung about. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we recognize that what that song said is just a, a, a retelling of what you told the disciples, Lord, that you would build the church on the confession of the Apostle Peter, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that not even the gates of Hades or hell will prevail against the church. And we stand upon that rock, Lord, today as Smithfield Baptist Church. We stand upon those realities. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to get in touch today as we, as we enter into your word. We need a visitation from you, Lord. We, just, we don't need more information. We need the life-giving words of Christ. We need the life-giving realities of the gospel breaking into our souls. We need the hope of heaven shining in, into the darkness of our lives, into the darkness of our hearts, and totally changing us. And Father, I pray that Your Spirit would come upon me and that You would come upon us and all of our hearts and open our hearts to receive the things of your word, to receive the words of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And we pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would, would be a skilled archer just bringing arrows of truth deep into our hearts that they would lodge firm and produce life change in our lives and bring real freedom and real hope and real encouragement. And if we're low today, that we would be brought up and lifted up. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And we thank You for that reality. And we pray that You would come upon the preaching of the Word now. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're kind of nearing the end of our series, Close Encounters with Jesus. And in Luke 19, we're going to come to a place where Jesus is kind of headed like that freight train to the cross, but He has one more person that He's going to visit, one more person that He's going to come to, one more person that He's going to speak into their lives, and totally change them. And it's somebody that you would think it would be totally impossible for this man to get saved. Because he was so far gone and so cruel and vile. And yet Jesus comes into his life and says that he came to seek and save that which is lost. And I was thinking about the fact that my parents used to take me every year to Lake Tahoe and, you know, we would go and, and water ski on the lake and play with the crawdads and do river rafting. And it was beautiful, you know, in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. 
but every once in a while, they'd have to do laundry and stuff like that because we were living out of a cabin for a couple weeks. And I remember distinctly, and I've probably shared this before, but I was actually in the laundromat, and they thought, you know, Peter was still in the building. And then one day I decided to take a stroll, and I began to investigate the little strip mall that they were in. And so before I knew it, I'm in like convenience stores and I'm checking things out. And then I kind of, you know, am walking around and the owner of this store says, son, are your parents around? And I'm four years old at the time, you know, I'm not very old. So um, I'm, I'm like, my parents are doing laundry. That's, that's what I told them. And so my, my folks get a phone call over at the laundromat. And I remember distinctly like they come like, you know, seeking me out in this convenience store and they rush in and it dawns on me for the first time that I'm totally lost and I don't know where my parents are. And what seemed just like everything was going fine, all of a sudden I'm just like crying and weeping and I run to my parents and I lap them up and they grab a hold of me and I'm just like wailing because I didn't know that I was lost until that very moment that I get rescued, until that very moment that my parents come in and find me. And that's exactly what happens to somebody when they get saved. They don't know they're lost until they know they're lost because Jesus begins to shine a light on their situation and they get saved. They realize that they need rescue. And so today we're going to be entering into this story where Jesus is wandering into the city of Jericho, which was like a, a, a trade center that you had to pass through Jericho if you were going from the east to the west to get to Jerusalem. All Jews had to come through this little trade port. And so you would basically make your travels and plan to go through Jericho. And we're going to talk today about a man who is a Jew and a tax collector and totally rich because he was basically extorting his fellow Jews, working for the man, working for Rome, and charging all kinds of extra taxes to line his pockets. He was in love with money. He was a slave to money. And he lived and ordered his whole life to where he would be one of the most hated men of all his people. Because a tax collector was seen as worse than a prostitute. And Jesus is going to come to this man's life and totally, radically transform it. And we're going to see the power that he has to step in to a situation and press upon the conscience of a man who didn't realize he was lost until Jesus comes into town and then becomes transformed. And we're going to walk in and through sort of like a, a picture of seeing this man's heart Seeing him in his lost state, seeing a seeking Savior who's come to seek and save that which is lost, and then a radical transformation that's unexplainable. And just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, 
it's harder for a rich man to get saved than for a person or for a camel to go through the eye of a little sewing needle. But with God, all things are possible. And that's what this story teaches us. It reminds us that Jesus has the power to save us no matter how far gone we are. So look with me in chapter 19 and verse 1, and we're going to just step into this story. Now Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Or for those who know the song, he was a, a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the townspeople, they all grumbled in their hearts and said, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And, I, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has came to seek and to save that which is lost. Most scholars think that that is the key verse of all of the gospel of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the Lord, through His Spirit, embeds the most important verse in all of Luke's Gospel in a story about Jesus' power to save a rich man totally given over to the love of money. So that's the first thing we see. We see a picture of a lost man. And sometimes we read this story and we kind of revise it a little bit. And, and Zacchaeus is like this sweet guy who's climbing up the tree. And it's, it's like, yay, Zacchaeus. And, and it's true, he gets saved. But you have to think of Zacchaeus as like a Jewish Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, you have to think of him as a miserly man who loved money and he loved it so much that he would turn on his own people to work for the Romans, to tax them and to take their money to line his own pockets. Not only would he be working for an oppressor, but he would be stealing from his own people. And, and, and Jews did not consider Zacchaeus a true son of Abraham. This guy is a liar and a thief and a vagabond and get him out of my face. 
And he didn't want to walk through town. I mean, he, th- that was a sort of profession that you were going to get pelted in the head by passers-by with rocks. But we see this is a picture of a man who's lost because we see right away that he was in a profession in order to be a rich man. Notice like in verse 2, it says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and his name means righteous one. And he's doing the opposite of what his name means. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So not only did he collect taxes, but he was in charge of other guys who collected taxes. So he climbed the corporate ladder at Rome in order to put himself in a place where he could make more money on the backs of his people. He was not like a true Jew. He was like a pharaoh. And Jesus comes to this man. And this man, he says, today salvation has come to your house. You've got to be staggered that Jesus would come to a man this lost. And that's why it scandalizes in verse 7 the people who were looking on, grumbling, you know. He's going to eat with this guy? He's going to spend a meal with this guy? Do you know who he is? But we have to see this picture of lostness because Zacchaeus doesn't get this way. He doesn't become a, a, a tax collector because his heart is in the right place. He becomes a tax collector because he's broken. He's a picture of all of us, enslaved to sin, enslaved to addictions, enslaved to the things that replace God. And Zacchaeus, for him, it was the love of money. He had loved money so much that he made it a God. And so Jesus, earlier in the Gospel, would say, you can't love God and money. You can't love God and your possessions. You'll either... Serve the one and hate the other. But you cannot serve both. And Zacchaeus was in a prison. He was a bitter man. He wasn't happy doing this. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been seeking out Jesus. He knew something was wrong. And verse 3, right, reminds us that he had heard about Jesus. So you got to picture this. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he had heard of this Jewish carpenter who had come into town and was the buzz of the town. And right before this instance, he comes into the town and there's a blind man calling out for help. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus looks at him and says, what must I do? Or what do you want me to do? And the man says, let me receive my sight. And Jesus heals him and says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so that's how Jesus enters into Jericho. And everybody's thinking... Who could this be that even people born blind are receiving sight when he touches them? Zacchaeus is finally, 
there's somebody who can help me with the slavery of my soul. There's somebody who can help me with my addiction. There's somebody who can help me with my lostness. He's waking up to his need and he's waking up to someone who can come and deal with it. And brothers and sisters and visitors, aren't we all deep down aware, very aware when we consider our hearts that there's a brokenness and there's a need for someone to come and rescue us? And that's who Jesus is. And the same could be said of us today if we don't know Christ. Today, salvation can come to your house. And this is put here to remind us that Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving that which is lost. But we got to know that we need Him. we got to know we're lost before we can be saved. Only Jesus can break the shackles of the kind of idolatrous addiction and enslavement that a man who was like Ebenezer Scrooge was in. And you remember the Christmas carol, Ebenezer Scrooge needed to go through a whole lot to wake up to his need. And Jesus in his kindness and in his sovereignty is coming because... He's a seeking Savior. And that's the second thing we see in this passage. Look at verse 4. So he ran on ahead. This is Zacchaeus. He ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Notice that Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. He had never met Zacchaeus, but he knows him. He had never met Zacchaeus, but he knows him and he knows you and I. And he says to Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay with you Today, there is a divine appointment for you. And the Lord is coming. Imagine what that would have been like. Zacchaeus was hoping like something, something's going to change here. I'm getting up. I'm in the sycamore tree. I'm looking around and Jesus knows me and he calls me by name. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? But that he's the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one shall snatch them from my hands. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they come. And if you're a Christian, every one of you have heard the voice of Jesus one day summoning summoning you to come to him, summoning you to come down and to meet with him and to deal with your sins and to trust him as the one who can actually save you. And he called you by name. 
And perhaps you're in here today and you're hearing the voice of the good shepherd calling you. He said, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay with you. What a glorious thing it is to hear the call of Jesus in our lives. Jesus once said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you hear it? Come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm gentle and I'm lowly. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he's not going to put out. He's tender towards you in your sin and in your need. And he comes with rescuing grace into the lives of the most unsuspecting people. People you would think it'd be impossible, but not with Jesus Christ. And some of you in here today need to hear that afresh. Your situation is not hopeless when Jesus gets involved. Your life is not totally gone and totally lost if the Son of Man comes and seeks and saves. And oh, what a thing it is to hear the Creator of the universe calling you like He did Zacchaeus. Come to Me. You weary? You tired of being stuck? Come and let the Prince of Life set you free. This is just, this is a powerful gospel. And what happens when it gets a hold of your heart is what happened to Zacchaeus. He started to realize that there was hope for him. He started to see the dawn was coming. He started to see the light coming out. The darkness being chased away. The shackles could be broken. That's Jesus. Entering into a life. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, this is Jesus. And He brings that kind of hope into your life. And you think it's all black. And then the, the ray of Gospel light comes in and totally changes you. And I think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, he says, like the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from coming to the Gospel. But... God, who said, let there be light back in Genesis and there was light, can shine on your hearts so that you are seeing the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ and you behold a Savior. And what a friend we have in Jesus when we lay hold of that. And as believers, as Christians, we just marvel what a friend we have in Jesus. Come to Him 
Brothers and sisters, put yourself under the fountain of blessing and come to Him afresh. If you feel stale, if you feel like your walk's just kind of been like dried up, come to the fountain of life. Come to the friend you have in Jesus. And it won't be long before you're jumping around like Zacchaeus. Have you tasted the sweetness of saving grace? Have you tasted the reality of life-changing transformation to deal with your life-dominating sins? That's what Jesus offers as the Son of Man. And that's what we see in our last point here. We see a radical transformation. Look at it in verse 6. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. That's what, that's what Zacchaeus does in response to the call. He hurriedly comes down and receives Jesus joyfully. And then what do the townspeople do? They grumble. He's gone to be a, a, the guest of a man who's a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I should restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house. Since he is a son of Abraham. Notice that he is a son of Abraham. Because he's believing. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. What an amazing transformation. A man who the first note we see that's rung is joyful reception of Jesus as the Son of Man. He doesn't, he doesn't delay. Perhaps you're in here today and you've been delaying coming to Jesus and just going all in for Him and laying your, your, your real self before a real Savior and Zacchaeus just goes all in, trusts him, and he's joyfully receiving Jesus. He's experiencing what the psalmist in Psalm 1611 said and described the saving joy. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what Jesus brings. I've got pleasures for you. You're settling for things that are so low and ignoble when I've got glorious things in store for you. And C.S. Lewis used to say that we're far too easily pleased with making mud pies in the sand when there's a glorious holiday. What he meant is a glorious vacation in a tropical paradise awaiting and we're stuck playing in the mud. Jesus brings pleasures at his right hand, and in his presence there's fullness of joy. Zacchaeus goes from being bitter, disgruntled, discontent in his love of money, and now he has the joy of the Lord. He's entered in to a new joy that's broke the power of life dominating sin and the way that happens in your life is when you have the explosive power as the puritans put it of a new affection for jesus when jesus is sweet to you sin is bitter and when you 
rejoice. And when you taste and see the goodness of Jesus, it begins to break the power of canceled sin. And only sin that's been canceled on the cross for the Christian, we can get victory over. And that's all our sins if we're in Christ. There's power in Christ. There's joy. There's an explosive, expulsive power of a new affection happening in Zacchaeus. And while others are scandalized, he's rejoicing. It reminds me of the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, right? What does Jesus say to Pharisees who are making the same complaint? Oh, he's going with sinners. How dare him <laughs> go with sinners? And what does Jesus say? In Matthew 15, 7, he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or again in verse 10, I tell you, there will be joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God's throwing a party when people repent. And far be it from us as the church to stand in the way of sinners who want to repent. Right? That's the spirit of pharisaical hypocrisy. But we delight when King Jesus breaks in and saves people and we pray like we know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God can break into the hardest of hearts. And some of you have lost hope for loved ones. And you've lost hope for friends. And you've lost hope for some people in your life. And you think, no, no way. That's not going to happen. That's not going to change. And Jesus is saying, if I can do it with Zacchaeus, I can do it with you. And I can do it with them. So you pray, thy kingdom come. And you pray. And maybe one day... Jesus calls them by name into the kingdom. What happened with the thief on the cross was nothing short of miraculous. He's being crucified next to Jesus. One thief doesn't repent and scorns and mocks Jesus. The other says, this man is innocent. Lord, he looks at him and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him without skipping a beat. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Interesting that that's the same language of verse 9 spoken about Zacchaeus. Today salvation has come to this house. Listen, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus and you have not been saved and you are lost in your sins, today is the day to come to Jesus. Today is the day to respond to His voice. Today is the day to step out of the crowd, to climb up the tree and to watch Him say, come down. I want to meet with you and believe He can actually save you. Today is the day. It's a radical transformation that he brings in this man's life. He takes an enemy of God and he makes him into a friend of Jesus. And is that not what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.8? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, or, or for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You're an enemy and God sent Jesus to deal with your sins and to reconcile you to him. If you are a Christian. That is a miracle of grace. And that's something that you can just praise God for every day. When you wake up, let it be the thing that gets you up and let it be the thing that gives you peace. When you lay your head on the pillow that God so loved the world, he sent his son to a cross to reconcile enemies. Because we were hostile to God, the Bible says. And we were running in our sin away from him shaking our fists at him, and Jesus came and he changed it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, friend of sinners. Let's get back to Zacchaeus for a second. Do you see what happens here in verse 8? is a radical, spirit-wrought transformation in the life of Zacchaeus. New birth has been granted to him. He's got eyes to see now. He's got a heart transfixed on Jesus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And I have, if, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So he gives away half of his possessions to the poor showing that the, the love of money has been severed in his life. So if there's anything you're struggling with in your Christian walk as you're trying to grow in your love and affection for Jesus, Jesus has the power to sever the things that strangle the life of God out of us. And he did it with Zacchaeus. Now he's giving away money. He was a crook who became a Christian. He was a swindler who became a saint. Because Jesus came into his life and now he's, he's restoring. He's going to everybody he can think of and restoring all the things that he had stolen. If there was ever evidence of conversion, there's probably not a clearer picture in all the New Testament than in the life of the wee little man. Zacchaeus. And listen to what it sounds like in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Isn't that what we see? The new has come. This is a new man. One man climbed up the tree and another man came down. That's Jesus' power, and He can do it in your life. So I just want to close with, with a picture of, of how this happens in our lives. Because 
Zacchaeus demonstrates saving faith. Zacchaeus is trusting Jesus. Zacchaeus is listening to Jesus. Zacchaeus is responding to Jesus. And so what does saving faith look like? Can we discern some elements as we look into this passage? And, and I see a few things. Number one, saving faith comes to Jesus regardless of the cost. He's going to lose his profession. He's going to lose a whole lot of dignity climbing up a tree because you didn't do that in ancient times. That was kind of undignified. He climbs up a tree. He doesn't care. I'm going to get to where I can be with Jesus. That's saving faith. He comes out of the crowd. He's not worried what it's going to look like. He is willing to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And Jesus said himself of what the call of and the cost of discipleship would look like when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the kind of thing Jesus calls us to deny sin and self and look to him and begin to follow. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit if a man gains the whole world and he loses his soul? I give you Zacchaeus, a man who knew what that meant. He trusted the Lord at all costs. And he was willing to give his former way of life up. And even if we're a believer in here today, that's still the call of discipleship. Are you willing to give some things up to follow Jesus? Are you willing to reorder your priorities when it comes to entertainment, your use of money, your use of time? What does discipleship look like? What is the burden of the Spirit upon your heart that you know? There's something He's calling you to let go of because it's time to follow Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me, He said. Second thing we see is just simply that saving faith is looking to Jesus. I mean, Zacchaeus climbed up the tree, got to a place where he could see Jesus it says in verse 4, do you see it there? He ran on ahead, he climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him. So you got to look. You got to look to the sun. You got to look to Jesus. And looking means believing. You got to see him with the eyes of faith. And you got to hear him with the ears of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you putting your place yourself in the place where you can see more of Jesus? Are you taking up the book so you can see more of Jesus? Are you coming regularly to the gathering of the, of the church so you can hear more about Jesus and meet with the people of Jesus? Are you committed to prayer and prayer ministry and, and prayer meetings so you can see more of Jesus? This is a powerful face-to-face -face encounter with King Jesus, and it altered him. And that's a display of faith that looks to Jesus. Thirdly, faith joyfully receives Jesus. So sometimes we can get the idea that 
that saving faith is kind of mechanical. It's like, okay, I'm going to sign a card. I think I heard what the guy said at the, the crusade, and, and, and yeah, yeah, I want to do that Jesus thing. And I'm going to sign a card, and, I, and I'm good now, right? And maybe I'll even get baptized. But ultimately, there's no affections in our heart bubbling up. There's no saving joy coming into your soul. And that is what Jesus brings in the heart. There's going to be affection for Jesus. There's going to be a love for Jesus. Perhaps there's people in your life who claim to be Christians, but they have no love for Jesus. They have no joy in Jesus. And maybe they're not. It's not just enough to tolerate Jesus. I'll hear about the Jesus stuff. But do you have joy in Jesus? Have you come joyfully, opened your home and your life to Jesus and let him come in and totally renew you? Verse 6 says, He hurried and came down and received him joyfully with a joyful heart. Lastly and finally, saving faith repents of sin. Any faith that stops short of true repentance and turning away from sin is not saving faith. Even the demons believe and tremble, James tells us. Even the demons know the identity of Jesus and believe in Jesus, but they do not trust Jesus and nor have they turned away from their rebellion against God. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, look at the evidence of conversion. Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is what's flowing out of my life. I used to be underhanded and now I'm generous. I used to love money so much that I would trample on people to get it and now I'm giving it away to those most in need in society. Have you, has your faith ever resulted in true repentance for your sins? A turning away. A 180 in your life to trust Jesus and turn away from sin. It's like the Ephesians when they were getting saved out of witchcraft and idolatry and magic in the book of Acts. They were getting saved and they took all of their magic books and their spells and their incantations and they lit a bonfire and they tossed it into the flames because their faith was real. It was a faith that repented. Is there a fruit of genuine conversion in our lives? You know, I remember I was just horrible to... So there was one Christian that I worked with when I was in the Marine Corps. And he was kind of freaked out by me because I was real hostile. And, uh, and I get saved. And I come into the to the office and I'm like, Hey man, I'm a Christian now. And he like looks at me like wide eyed. I'm like, yeah, man, I love Jesus. Now I was like, I'm so sorry that I was horrible to you. And he's just looking at me and he's weirded out. It's like the apostle Paul, like trying to get close to the church after he gets saved. And they're like, have you heard about this guy? He's throwing us into prison. 
He's, he's putting people in jail and he's consenting to their death. And they were kind of like, I'm not sure about this guy. But when Jesus gets a hold of you, he transforms you and you begin to want to make right the things you had blown. And there were many people I remember having to go to and just say, I'm sorry. I was horrible. And would you forgive me? And it was just like weird to them. But that's the power of the gospel at work in this man's life. J.C. Ryle once commented on this passage. He was an Anglican bishop who just was a great preacher. He said, faith that does not purify the heart and life is not faith at all. Grace that cannot be seen like light and tasted like salt is not grace, but hypocrisy. The man who professes to know Christ and trust him while he cleaves to sin and to the world is going down to hell with a lie in his right hand. And I thought, that's sobering. And then I thought, oh, what a glorious thing it is when Jesus gets a hold of your heart and you're just willing to make things right and truly repent. Because you're the most free person of all. If Jesus has set you free, you're free indeed. And so you can share like, hey, like Jesus saved me. You can be real about sin. Christians should be the most real about sin. And one of the evidences of saving faith is real fruits of repentance in your life. Today, salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. And today, salvation can come into your house. Perhaps your conscience has been pricked. Perhaps you sit here today realizing I'm on the outside looking in. Perhaps you're here today and you're realizing my faith was not real at all. It was dead. I hear the warning of Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because he knows. And he longs to bring real rescue for the real you. And when you get real about the real you and you repent and you trust Jesus, you step into the joyful blessing of forgiveness. You step out of the crowds. You really repent. You really receive Jesus joyfully. You really come to Him at personal cost. So what do we do from here? Have we encountered this Jesus? And if we have, rejoice! If we have, step into Zacchaeus' shoes and rejoice and receive Him joyfully and follow Him in the path of discipleship. And if you need to get right with God, admit your sin and your need and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Receive Him and truly repent of your sin. Let's come to the Lord and pray. Father God, we realize the importance of this passage teaches us that Jesus' whole mission was to seek and save that which is lost. 
And perhaps there's some here today who are realizing that very thing. Maybe they are lost. Maybe they are without Christ. Maybe they, they've really not truly repented of their sin. And they're realizing they need to come to Jesus today for the first time. And perhaps there's others in here today who they've been walking with Jesus for a while, but things got stale. Things got ho-hum. Things got routine, mechanical, and there's just the affections. They're not there like they used to be. God, I pray that they would seek to repent and rekindle their love for Jesus, that they would repent and do the first works, that they would begin to look to Jesus and follow Him on the costly path of discipleship and watch Him seek and save the lost around Him. And I pray that for those of us who realize the power of the Gospel to save even the most worst, vile, crooked, heinous sinners just like Zacchaeus and just like me, we've got a great Gospel to share with the world. And so Father, I just pray for those and in each of those camps, God, that you would do a work in our hearts. And that we would hear the call of Jesus upon our heart and our life. And that we would be following. That we would hear the shepherd's voice and we'd be following. And maybe if you're here as we're praying and you just feel like, I need prayer. And I, I just want to acknowledge that. Just slip up your hand and I'd like to pray for you and just acknowledge that. It's like Zacchaeus climbing up the tree. If you would like me to pray for you and just acknowledge in your heart, you know God's been kind of calling you during this whole message. Acknowledge it. Don't be afraid of it. But ask God to do a work. And I'd love to pray for you. I see. God bless you. Anybody else? I'd like to pray for you. God's doing a work. You feel summoned by the gospel, the power of the gospel. Just lift your hand in, in the air and acknowledge God's doing a work in your heart. A work of stirring maybe repentance. Maybe you've kind of drifted. Father, I just pray for these, Lord, that, that, that feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on their hearts and they're needing you. They're needing a fresh breakthrough. They're needing to call out to you. I pray that even now in their hearts, they would be saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I just want to turn away from my sins. I want to repent of, of just living contrary to your ways. And I want to come to Jesus in true faith, I want to be like Zacchaeus. And Father, would you just flood them with your powerful work of grace and give them that saving faith we just talked about. And I pray for those of us who just needed a fresh word of encouragement. God, breathe that into our hearts as we sing this song. We ask that you would do that work in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.